Let's meet Trevor Perry, a pilot who spends 50% of his time traveling to places no one's ever heard of. We talk about camping on dormant volcanoes, solo adventuring through the back roads of a man, and swimming through crocodile infested waters just to get to work on time. And as always, we'd like to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, Dry Flush Toilets. If you haven't seen these amazing off-grid toilets, you really need to check them out. They're the cleanest, easiest, smell-free toilet that you've ever seen. And they recently won the new best camping technology in Australia. No more dumping chemicals or maintaining a composting toilet. Go to www.dryflush.com.au to see how they work. Let's get traveling. Welcome to the Off-Grid Traveller podcast where we meet the people who go off-grid and into a life of adventure, challenge and grand new horizons. Whether on land or on sea, you'll meet some fascinating characters who've chosen the road less travelled and discover their best tips, worst moments, favourite destinations and a whole lot more. Hey guys, welcome to the Off Grid Traveller. Today I have Trevor Perry, great name by the way, um, who is an air pilot and also an avid traveller who's been everywhere under the sun, um, has figured out a way to not only see the world, but uh, get paid for it at the same time. So um, Trevor, it's really awesome to have you with us. We had a, a brief chat before, uh, you, you know, you explaining about, you know, you figured out a way um, quite a while back to be able to spend a long period of time in these incredible locations around the world, but at mm -hmm. the same time, you know, tr doing your job, which is a pilot. And I I'd love if you could just give a, a little bit of uh, elaboration on that. Yeah. No, thank thanks. It's awesome to be here. And it's a fairly unique position to, to be in, in order to make the world a really small place, because yeah. I think there's very few professions where you have, the amount of control over your schedule where you can get a large block of days off on a monthly basis, but then also combine that with um, past travel or uh, travel privileges in order mm. to make uh, air travel quite affordable there. It yeah. definitely makes the world a, a much smaller place. So I've been lucky enough to, well, for a while there, uh, I was doing a trip a month uh, for about eight years. It's a little bit less now, especially with the, uh, a young kid on the way here and Which you have. yeah congratulations by the way thank you thank you very much um but yeah so like i'd be i would uh bid say a block of days off at uh, the end of the month and then uh another block of days off at the beginning of the following month there so i could get the large amount of time off to uh you know go off and explore and i know that that's not necessarily for everybody there mm -hmm. uh, that, i know a lot of pilots and are flight crew and cabin crew in general who uh the last thing that they want to do on their days off is set foot in an airplane there and i totally get that there but for me it's just i don't know i can't sit still for for too too long to my yeah. wife's chagrin yeah well it's it's, it's interesting because um with with that in mind you you normally have about you said about three weeks uh, there or thereabouts that you're able to adventure around into these different different locations is that right was it three weeks or a month yeah yeah it's about three to three to four weeks there man that's crazy and so for for eight years every single month or so uh you were going to all these crazy different locations and so you know in in in, in that aspect you've done a kind of off-grid adventure 
but um <laughs> it's just it's just crazy how different people experience life differently right and that that's what just really excites me about yeah. this is that you you were mentioning uh before that you had a crazy time where um you something about in croc infested waters i believe you mentioned oh yeah that was uh that was actually at work <laughs> of all places um it was on a layover down in costa rica and yeah. my my go-to place to go surf. So they put us up in a town called Tamarindo. It's nicknamed Tamagringo because it's kind of where like all the tourists go. All the gringos go. And <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, uh, there's a, across the estuary, there's another beach that's a lot, a little bit quieter. And I like the surf over there too. So I usually go surfing over there. And I made the mistake of surfing right till sunset. And that in and of itself wasn't a big deal, but... When I was finished, I couldn't find where I hid my stuff in the bushes. And <laughs> so I had an early morning pickup the next day to go to work. And I'm like, well, okay, so I'm stuck on this beach here. I got to get to work tomorrow. How am I going to get over? Well, I don't feel like calling up crew scheduling saying, hey, I'm stuck on a beach here. Sorry, going to have to delay my check-in tomorrow. Or, uh, you know, so um, did what I had to do get on my board and uh, keep my feet out of the water. And I start, I keep try to stay out as far towards open ocean as and I could. This is when the sun's coming down, right? Like this is after sunset. So this oh, is in gosh. the dark and paddling across on my board um, across croc infested waters in an estuary. And you can see them all, all over the place in the daytime as well. So yeah, I, I always said if, you know, work ever gave me a hard time about anything. I'd just be like, you know what? I swam through croc infested waters just to show up for work. So boom. And who, yeah. who can say <laughs> you know, that that's that's the um that's that's the 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 beauty of uh traveling and being able to do, you know, what you've been able to do. And you you mentioned as well that um one of the biggest things is that you because you come from Canada where the the weather isn't really uh fit for surfing let's let's say right and because of what you've done traveling you've been able to actually turn it into go oh my gosh like i have these hobbies now that i would never have experienced or never had the opportunity to do so it'd be really cool to just kind of unpack in your mind what got you to a point where you were like you know first i want to travel and then finding these hobbies and and if you didn't travel you know would you would you have would you have been living the same life you know Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of traveling, I mean, ever since I was a little guy, I was always fascinated by geography. Uh, I would spend hours just looking at like the big atlas that uh, was sitting on my parents' bookshelf as a kid. Um, and then, you know, the Encarta Encyclopedia and stuff like that uh, when I was a little guy. And then, you know, throughout a good portion of my adult life post high school, everything that I had focused on was sort of uh, on, on my career. Mm. Everything I put, I put my heart and soul into getting to where I was at uh, in aviation there. So, so you were always directed that route. You always wanted to go that route since you were a kid then. I did. And that's a pretty common story with most pilots there. Mm. But uh, you know, when I got to a major carrier, a uh, major airline, I, I was like, okay, cool. This is great. This has been the goal. Well, now what? And then 
you know, I really kind of thought about it. I was like, well, I'm sort of in a unique position, like I described beforehand here, mm -hmm. to see the world and uh, make the world a much smaller place. So that's sort of when, for lack of a better term, the aggressive traveling started. Yeah, right. At that point. And then, you know, I, I got addicted to it after that, because really I hadn't been, prior to that, uh, the only place I'd been outside of Canada and the U.S. was just Mexico. Mm. So... The free, um, the free Americas, basically. Well, there's four, isn't there? You've got Central, and then you've got uh, South America. So you've you've been, you'd, you'd only been, well, very large area, but at the same time, it is, you can still drive the whole way through if you wanted to. For sure, yeah. for sure. And then, uh, in terms of uh, hobbies, I mean, well, there is surfing here in Canada, in Tofino, but it's a bit of a trek to get out there. And right. also it's pretty limited in its season. I mean, depend on whether or not you want to wear a wetsuit or a dry suit or anything like that to do yeah. that. But um, yeah, definitely this type of traveling has led to other hobbies, uh, including surfing as well as diving there, which I don't think that I would have gotten into, at least not nearly as much had this not been accessible to me. Mm. Um, most of my trips are usually centered around hiking and climbing um, or multi-day treks there. That's what I'll actively seek out when I try and find a destination as well. And, I, you know, if I wasn't traveling, I'm pretty sure I'd still be into that. I mean, right. uh, Rocky Mountains are pretty much uh, my it's, backyard It's here. a Canada, Canada lifestyle, right? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, but... I definitely wouldn't have as varied experience with that mm. if it weren't for traveling. And and like you said, you know, you, would you would you have even thought about diving and surfing if you were in you know where you if you'd stayed there? And 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 that the reason why I bring that up is just it's 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 amazing how when you start going to these other places, you you pick up you see what other people are doing. You say, hey, you know what? I'd actually mm -hmm. like to have a go at that because, you know, I, I lived in Thailand for, uh, you know, a long time. And so I started doing Muay Thai. And if I had, hadn't started doing Muay Thai, I wouldn't have started doing boxing, which I do now. And, and mm -hmm. you know, I'd always liked it, but I'd never I'd never seen it visually. You're walking down the street and you just see these guys doing it and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, can I can I try and yeah. then they beat the living crap out of you and you either go <laughs> home or you, you go again. And I went right. again, weirdly. And so it, it's, it's just what, what I'm, what I really love about traveling and getting these abilities to go to these different places is that it, you're always yourself, but it expands you out one, one, one mile further than what you were. And so it, it's, it's just understanding and trying to, you know, remind people to get out there and, 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 and see what actually, you know, lights your fire. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. And I, I think the biggest thing for most people, I mean, there's the obvious financial barrier, but the mental barrier is just the fact that uh, it's the unknown. People are so afraid of the unknown and, um, you know, especially when it comes to solo travel, mm. right. If, if you haven't done that, uh, in the past that can be terrifying, you know, until you actually do. And then you realize, okay, like, and you know, I can't count the number of times things have gone awry when I've traveled, but some, some way, somehow things always have a way of working out. You know, I'm, oh, I'm sitting back at home right here, having this conversation with you, you know? So 
you know, there's nothing ever that's so catastrophic that things don't generally uh, work out. And then, uh, and then they make a good story in the long yeah. run. There too. Yeah. Well, you like, like you said with the crocodile one, is there any other like moments where you've gone like, okay, this is a bit, this is a bit, <laughs> this is a bit <laughs> hardcore right now. Am, am I sure I should have gone this route? <laughs> um, hmm. Uh, one that comes to mind was at the uh, Namibia Botswana border. Okay. And it's a great so had, story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had um Yeah, we had just uh finished in uh Botswana after a meeting of friends. She was flying bush planes uh down there and we had uh waved goodbye to her. So we're at the border and there's no buses or anything that uh gets us to uh, Windhoek, the capital from there. So we, uh, it's pretty common to hitchhike down there. Oh, wow. So we ended up catching a ride with a uh, bunch of fishermen sitting in the box of their truck there. And we're driving along the highway. And see, we can see the truck just starting to swerve, just starting to go off to the side of the highway uh, until it's actually getting uh, uh, off the side of the road here. And as soon as you do that, like some guys start uh, pounding on the back of the cab. And then as soon as he does that, the truck swerves right into the middle, back into the middle of the freeway. So we all go fly in one direction and then he pulls over onto the side of the, uh, onto the side of the road and gets out, pours like a bottle of water, bottle no. of water on his face. And they're like, Oh yeah, he's been up for like 36 hours or whatever it was there. I'm like, okay well like we can drive one of us can drive and they're like no 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 he's fine he's fine like no honestly like we could drive it's okay they're like no no he's fine okay well then you know what we're probably gonna hitch another ride here that's yeah. uh that's just about it for us yeah that was a little bit sketchy man like it, it and that 36 hours staying up like because as a pilot right you have to do long times up as well what was in, in your mind in, in in that essence obviously you know the logical thought is no I'm, I'm getting off this but you know being someone who's been on a plane so many times you've must have stayed up way over certain periods of time or you know as as much as you're allowed to what how does your brain feel at that point yeah well we have uh we have duty day restrictions we have flight time restrictions uh it's a whole complicated matrix uh depending on your circadian rhythm the time mm. day that you check in uh the unfortunate part is uh canadian laws which have been recently updated still fall right. short of science in that way so it does definitely lead to fatigue the onus is on us to you know not fly if we're if we're fatigued or we feel that we are fatigued but uh the reality of the situation doesn't necessarily provide for uh, to be able to do that all the time either right. unfortunately and so yeah i mean i don't know uh i don't know how much i'm incriminating myself here but this episode of off-grid traveler is proudly sponsored by dry flush toilets australia home of the world famous lavio dry flush toilet 
This patented electric toilet has no chemicals, is not a composting system, and can be set up literally anywhere in under 60 seconds. It looks and feels like an at-home toilet to use, but it can be used anywhere with no external power or water, and it still flushes. There's also no cartridge to clean or empty, and it's perfect for camping, caravans, converted vans, boats, tiny homes, or anything off-grid. Go to www.dryflush.com.au and use coupon code off grid to get a 10% discount on your toilet order today. But well, don't, don't incriminate yourself then. No, just... no. <laughs> there's definitely, uh, uh, there's definitely uh, some times where I've flown and I've been quite tired. And it's, uh, I mean, it's unavoidable to, to feel tired, especially when you're flying, flying a red eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, coming back from Hawaii the other night there, uh, the red eye six hour flight, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much rest you've gotten, you know, it's still that time of the day where your circadian rhythm is such that uh, you're going to be, or however much you've acclimatized to that time zone, yeah. you're still getting fired. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's inevitable. It's almost kind of a part of the job, but yeah. Yeah. There, well, that's why you uh, don't do it alone either. Right. You, you've always got a team with you that are, are keeping, you know, you taking turns even on short flights. I'm sure that you've got um, at least two people there. Yeah, that's right. All commercial airliners have at least two pilots. And then on long haul or ultra long haul flights, there'll be an augmented crew. So you'll have a third or even a fourth pilot. Is is that just someone who's kind of like a, a backup or? Yeah, so they, they'll switch on and off. So for example, ah. flights uh, like, um, uh, so for an ultra long haul flight, you'll um, have two pilots who can only fly X amount of hours mm. and then they'll switch off and the other two pilots will uh, fly the remainder of the flight there. So yeah, mm. the, the rules are a little bit different with ultra long haul and extra crew members to help augment the flight. Nah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it, some of the bunks on like these wide body airplanes, like they actually have bunk beds uh, like over top of the cabin there. That's exactly and, what I wanted to ask about because um, yeah. like uh, we we I've had different people on and they talk about their setup and stuff like that and they have their beds and like some people have had their catamarans where they've got like a, a, a you know sleeping area and bunk beds, but y- you guys get your own sleeping area inside the <laughs> yeah. bunks, like inside the plane as well, right? Uh, yeah, in the in the wide body airplanes, the ones that tend to do the like long haul, ultra long haul, they've got yeah. the bunks built over top, and it's kind of funny actually. There's a an escape hatch that goes no uh, right uh, right through the ceiling of the um of the cabin there. So if you wanted to play a joke on somebody, you could pop uh, <laughs> pop down and say hi to somebody sitting in the seat there. But um, yeah, no, the, uh, the, uh, the airplane I fly, the 737, there's no bunks or anything like that. It's usually short to medium haul uh, yeah. type of thing that I end up doing. So when, when you do those, uh, the large ones, because obviously pe- people always want to know about um, the, the equipment that you have with you. So it's it just interesting to say that like on a long flight, you have bunk beds. Uh, what do you, do you get any other amenities? Because it, it seems like you're in your own first class there if you've got that sleeping <laughs> facilities there. <laughs> Um, the bunks, uh, the bunks are pretty nice. Like, uh, you've got, uh, like uh, the same entertainment systems that are in the back of the seats there. Yeah. And then, uh, it, they're lie flat beds inside there. Mm-hmm. Um, not all white bodies have bunks on top, like, uh, um, the A330s or like 
larger Airbus airplanes that uh, mm. for the airplane that I fly, they just have like a business class seat that they can uh, lie down on there. Oh, nice. So it's not, uh, yeah, it's all right. It's uh, it's enough to get a little bit of rest in there. Uh, in any case there, which you're definitely going to want on those ultra long haul flights that go upwards of 16 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. And because mm-hmm. as you mentioned before as well, because obviously you have your kid, uh, which is uh, coming and again, congratulations on that. Um, with that in oh, mind, I'm guessing that your, your, your travel plans are probably going to be minimizing a little bit. Um, but do you have any, do you have any goals or plans for any other like trips or anything adventures that you've got in mind at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the type of traveling is going to change a little bit. That's, uh, that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, uh, especially with where I'm staying, where I'm going, I would like to, especially when, uh, when he's really young there, everybody says that it's easier to travel when they're, uh, say, an infant or really young as opposed mm. to a toddler. So in terms of specific destinations, I mean, the next ones on the list that I have for me are uh, Bangladesh, Papua New Guinea, and wow. Mauritania. But I don't think I'll be, uh, be able to do that with the, the little, little guy there. So maybe not. Oh, my... <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm sure you know if they, if they saw if they saw you with a little baby on on your back like that trekking through mm-hmm. uh, Papua New Guinea. I'm you know I'm I'm sure they'd be more than cape like friendly to help you out. Yeah. Oh no, uh, definitely for sure. But uh, I, I don't think, know what your wife yeah. would think. And that's just it, right? My wife, she travels a little bit differently than I do. She For likes sure. her creature comforts. Yeah. And I'm perfectly okay with sleeping in a hole in the ground. Uh, that doesn't bother me. Same as me um, and my wife. <laughs> well, I mean, but when we travel together, uh, she's actually really, really good at, uh, at comp- she's good at compromising. So yeah. she's, and even, I mean, most recently, I mean, we just went down to Puerto Vallarta for a uh, five days last month and I mean that's an easy trip and I was fully expecting it just to be like totally not what I usually do and just relax yeah but yeah she was actually uh up for uh she was up for adventure we went to a couple of fishing villages there uh hiked to a couple of waterfalls when she was uh, at the time I guess 24 25 weeks pregnant so wow she's a bit of a trooper there and then whenever we travel all right uh Sometimes we'll stay either in guest houses or hostels uh, together. Uh, and then there'll be the odd day where we'll stay in somewhere a little bit nicer uh, just for her. So as you do, mate, like um, mm. I, I've, I've said before, I've got a plan to go to uh, Thailand soon. And, um, you know, basically we're going there to make music and just chill out. Um, but the first day we get there, um, uh, I've, I've, I'm booking uh, like five star buffet. I want to absolutely destroy my stomach uh, so that <laughs> when I get onto the coach to go down to the islands, I just knock out. And it's just having a bit of luxury and then, you know sleeping in a in a jungle tent you know that, yeah. that beautiful mix between both of them it, it we live in a world where you can do that um within a week if you wanted yeah. to or or you could go um like you said you could go to bangladesh and you could be living in absolute palaces or you could be living uh you know uh, with locals and probably in my opinion having a better time um mm-hmm. it, it just depends on what what fires you up when you travel and 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 what um, and who you're with, who you're with is a massive one. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. And uh, actually, 
Um, my buddy Tristan, we've done several trips together. Uh, we've been through all sorts of ridiculous adventures, and um, uh, we have pretty much the same idea of uh, whatever we end up doing there. So usually, like if there's a go-to for like a travel buddy, uh, it'll either be him or it's usually uh, just solo on my own mm -hmm. there. And uh, I think it's good to travel solo first and then go with a buddy there too, yeah. because then you're used to, because he's done quite a bit of solo travel himself. Mm. And so I find that um, like, I have no problem uh, reaching out to other people, especially talking to locals, things like that and other travelers. Um, but because of that solo travel, you know, when we travel together, I find that we tend to attract like a bigger crowd there. Mm. And then uh, like the crowd starts to, uh, the energy, amass. right. And it and just, you get, everyone yeah, kind you of, kind of magnetizes. Your there. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it, it's really good. I, I, I love the vibe that that creates. Yeah. Did you have any, um, what, what would you say is your free most recommended places that you would tell anyone to, to, to get to, um, from just, boom you've gone there and you went this is this is life like <laughs> yeah you know i i understand that the type type of traveling i do isn't necessarily for everyone mm. but if you're looking like in terms of like just sheer adventure and like wow this is amazing um oman is definitely up there wow okay there's one moment that sticks out in my head specifically, and this is kind of uh, my go-to whenever anybody asks, you know, what's the most uh, amazing place you've ever been to? And there's tons of them. This is just kind of my go-to answer for this. And there's one moment that sticks out in my head, and at Wadi Shab, it's this big, uh, narrow river valley mm. that you can hike up for tens of kilometers. And... I and Oman's beautiful because you can also random camp anywhere in the country as long as it's not cultivated land or somebody's backyard. So you so, spring so your again, tent. Oh, you, you can just random camp. Okay, so you can yes. wow, that's anywhere. Cool. As long yeah, as long as it's not somebody's backyard or yeah, cultivated land. And so I remember like the end of the day cuz it was freaking hot out that day too. Um just setting up my tent sitting down, kicking off my boots, uh, I put my flip-flops on, and uh, there's this uh, stream running through the middle of the valley, and I uh, I go down, just like take a dip inside it, and it was like so cool and so refreshing, and the whole base of it is lined with date palms, and then you have these beautiful reddish wow. rocks like on the side juxtaposed against that, like beautiful colors and nobody for miles like this whole place all to myself like so that i think that there stood out for me the most just in terms of like a single moment where it's like this is paradise um other than that uh guatemala guatemala, guatemala? Was cool, um specifically uh hiking a uh a catenango volcano it's a dormant volcano that sits right next to Fuego, which is an active volcano. So can you feel the heat underneath? Not on a Catenango. Mm -hmm. No, you'd actually have to go onto Fuego for that, I'm pretty sure. But um I have been I have been to volcanoes where you can feel the yeah. heat underneath, such as um uh Danakil Depression in Ethiopia, which is wow. really, really cool to see. 
uh, although it's extremely caustic there, you can feel it scratching your lungs and all that stuff. So uh, that's that's what was so great about this uh, in Guatemala was on a Catanango, you're right next to the volcano, but you don't smell the sulfur or anything like that. And I remember the first day of the hike, we get to the camp and we're shrouded in cloud. And then I hear this like, boom, boom, boom. And I don't really think much about it at first because I think that we're, uh, it's a thunderstorm that's mm -hmm. next to us. And it took probably about maybe three or four times until I realized, wait, no, that's actually the volcano. And then the clouds cleared and then as night fell, that's when it was just awe-inspiring. You could see the... Uh, the molten rock and pyroclastic flow uh, just spew out the side and down the side of the mountain. Um, like, yeah, I would definitely say uh, within the top three to five experiences I've ever had. Wow. And then, uh, yeah. And then the next morning, I mean, we, we didn't sleep that much that night because that volcano erupts maybe every five, 10 minutes or at so least it's, it did. It, so it keeps you on, well, obviously visually it's, it must be stunning. Um, but then obviously mm -hmm. it keeps you on, it keeps you on edge for the fact that you're not used to having a volcano near you. Totally. A, well, I mean, you're not, to, yeah. I mean, you, you don't want to go to sleep that night either. You know, we were supposed to get up at, uh, I think it was like 2am or something like that to yeah. reach the summit for sunrise. And uh, you're just like oh, I don't want to go to sleep. This is incredible. When am, uh, when's the next time I'm going to get to experience this? So, um, wow. yeah, that was definitely. Uh, and then, oh man, hmm. I think maybe just for the sheer adventure of it all, probably uh, Kyrgyzstan as well. Kyrgyzstan as well. Man, you're pulling out these like absolutely deep cuts right now. Like, you know, like <laughs> most people go on these stand adventures, you're like, no, Kyrgyzstan, right? Here, here, here's, here's something that happened here. Like, that's so So cool. usually, usually what I'll do is uh, like, I'm always fascinated by places I know nothing about. So yeah. when I try and pick out a place, I'll look at a map and I'll see a region or a country. I'm like, you know, I really don't know anything about that place. And then I'll just do a little bit of light research. And 10 times out of 10, it's like, this place is actually really freaking cool. Yeah, I want to go to there. So then, uh, yeah, usually the most limiting factors for me are um, like visa entry or uh, entry requirements there. Um, especially as an airline pilot, I can't surrender my passport or anything mm. like that. So the you know there's a lot of places that i'd love to go that are that i'm limited by that so um but yeah uh i'd say kyrgyzstan uh my buddy and i we spent a uh, couple weeks trekking through the tian shen mountains in there and it was kind of weird because we like it's a very similar flora and fauna to the canadian rockies okay so it had a very familiar feel to it right up until you come across a farmer's yurt in the valley there because uh, it was the time of year where all the farmers had moved their flocks into the mountains uh, to graze so and then you go into there and like the f absolute most freshest baked uh, flatbread you'll ever have off like a wood stove or a campfire on there um, and then all sorts of other things like horse milk which tastes just 
god awful it's the worst thing you could ever have <laughs> and how how are the people there like what what how are they to you because obviously in my my opinion mate you are you are one of the true off-grid travelers with your ability to literally go off with your random camping you got you know your camping set uh it's it's either you or you with your friend and uh, you know meeting these random people on, on the journeys as well like uh, how how are you finding them are they are they friendly are they aggressive like what what have you found uh as the consensus yeah you know it really all depends like uh, kyrgyzstan for example uh, people are incredibly friendly there like uh um you'll almost never not be invited into a yurt if you're uh, out in the mountains there and for uh some tea and and bread oh, so or cool. anything else like that um and People also just want to know, like, what you're dealing with. What are you doing? Like, are you, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's other instances as well. Um, like Somalia, uh, so the northern part of Somalia, uh, it's called Somaliland. Hmm. It's a, sort of a breakaway state that's not officially recognized by anybody other than Taiwan. Hmm. And... When people think Somalia, they think Black Hawk Down, right? And right. Somaliland is just about anything but. It's uh, it's a very stable region. And uh, you cannot walk 15 meters down the street in Hargiza, the major city there, without somebody stopping you, inviting you to sit down for tea, wanting to know who you are, what your deal is, you know, why are you here, right? Uh, and it's you you know a lot of other regions especially more touristed regions usually that conversation leads to a sales pitch or them trying to peddle you something As, yeah of course yeah and that's just not the case here mm -hmm. uh at all people are just have a genuine interest in in wanting to talk to you and that's a lot of places too but uh, i think especially somaliland there was one instance where i was walking through the souk through the marketplace there and there was a group of like a, a kind of found myself in a sticky situation where there was like a group of elderly women shouting at me and like pushing me around and like, okay, I'm trying to walk away. And then they like block me and I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Right. I obviously don't want to push back. That could lead mm -hmm. to some problems. What they're there. waiting for potentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then there was uh but then there was a man who like came in and uh, just like here, come with me. And then uh, sort of escorted me out of there. And that was that, but for, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, there's, I'd say solo travel, especially places that are, you know, generally off the grid. That's where you'll find the most friendly people who are actually are genuinely interested and want to make a connection. No, I, I love that. And, you know, on that note, guys, it, it's really the biggest thing is when, when you are solo traveling or traveling anywhere is, again, we've said this before, is, you know, the people that you meet can make or break a journey and if you are constantly uh focusing in your mind to be a, a good individual and you know taking the culture nine times out of ten people are gonna always welcome you with open arms and look you're always gonna get that bad egg once in a while just throw that bad egg against the wall because you know then, mm -hmm. then everyone can see how bad it smells um 100 percent, and yeah. you know everybody all they all want the same thing right everybody wants to be happy healthy they want their family to be happy and healthy you know, regardless of, you know, what their governments or what government or regime they're they're living under. And I think one thing that really 
a real poignant moment for me I actually was in Oman again, sitting down to dinner with a woman in Muscat and she was telling me about her daughter, how her daughter was going to school in the U.S. in Birmingham, Alabama, and she was so afraid for her daughter to go to the States because of all the gun violence. <laughs> and I just thought that was so interesting because prior, uh, uh, just before I left for that trip, I had a couple of people say to me, you know, oh, what the hell are you going to Oman for? You know, it's the Middle East. It's dangerous, even though it's one of the most stable countries in the region, right? And it, and it really had me thinking, okay, so here's two two people on opposite sides of the planet who are afraid of each other for absolutely no reason, <laughs> no reason. other than the fact that just what they've been exposed to in the media. Oh, mate. Well, I like... <sighs> And that that is a whole different thing that we'll, we'll travel we may have to unpack the next time we talk yeah um oh guys thank you so much for uh joining us on the off-grid traveler this okay. has been amazing trevor you that that last thing i want everyone to just remember what trevor said there and if mm -hmm. you have to repeat that go repeat it but um oh seriously thanks so much trevor it's been awesome having you with us uh and uh have, have an amazing day if you or someone you know would be an interesting guest on the show, we'd love to hear from you. We love speaking to everyday people who've taken to the open road or open seas for an extended period of time or anyone that's set up their life in an off-grid location. Please email guest at offgridtraveller.com.au to get in touch. That's two L's in Traveller. If you like that video, you'll probably like this one and you'll really love this one. And as always, we want to thank you for joining us. And if you want to like and subscribe, it really helps the channel grow. And it means that we can talk about more travel, get more tips and everything off grid. Cheers.